Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. How many of you were here last week? Awesome. It was an awesome sermon. And Dom preached on sowing your seed. And so tonight I'm going to kind of piggyback on that. And in that, I want to talk about how you are going to use your faith. You are going to use the faith that you have in Jesus Christ and the power of our risen God to sow your seed like you've never sown it before. So first I'm going to introduce you to a little girl. And so her name is, if y'all can, if they can, they'll put it up. Her name is Heidi. Look how precious she is. You see that? Well, Heidi is very special to us. Heidi lives in a mountain way up at the top of Chalatenango, El Salvador, which is like my favorite place in the world to live. And if you'd ever can't find me, I will be living in El Salvador. And so Heidi was there and we met her one, um, one afternoon when we were doing a program and the way that when we go on these mission trips, we do programs in, in a nutshell. We do all kind of crazy dances and songs, and we minister to them, and we do skits, and we do all these different things. And at the very end is the, the most precious part, because we get all of the kids that want to come up and want to accept Jesus into their heart. And we put them in a circle. And then all of the workers, everybody who's on the, the mission trip, and all the nationals, that's the people who live there, and they help us to converse, because we, not many of us, except for Matt, really knows how to converse really well in Spanish. And so we get in this big circle around them. And as the nationals are praying, and they're getting them to accept Jesus in their heart, we're touching and we're laying hands on each and every child, and we're praying for them. And then at the very end, what they do is, after the, after the kids have um, accepted Jesus in their heart, they ask them, is there anybody who has problems in your house? And, and if they raise their hand, they'll ask them what it is, and then we pray for them. And then they'll say, is there anybody else who needs healing? and then are sick, and they raise their hands, and then we pray for them. And so at that point, Heidi raised her hand. And so when one of the nationals asked her what was wrong, um, she didn't really tell them anything. And then a Nash, another one stepped in and said and told them that she's deaf, she can't hear. And so for all practical purposes, um, Heidi could not hear. She was deaf. And so uh, we prayed and we prayed in the circle and then, you know, we disperse and we line the kids up and we give them candy and we kind of, you know, get, we play with them a little bit more and then we move on to the next place. But we had a couple of students at that time. And I think actually Jordan Bokeh, I think he was here for this. I think this is the mission trip he was on maybe. Um, so they, they wanted to go back and pray for Heidi. They, they wanted her to be healed. And so we said, okay, so we asked somebody, is it okay if we go and we, we pray, pray with her again? And so we, we gathered her up, we put her in the middle of a circle, and um, I don't know, maybe about six or seven of us laid hands on her and we started praying. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And then she doesn't know English and we don't really know Spanish. So we were um, praying in English and she has no idea what we were saying, but she couldn't hear us anyway because she is deaf. And so when we said amen, and I just remember like squeezing her hand and hugging her, she opened up her eyes and she gave us a smile like I will never, ever forget. And so we're all looking like she can hear and so then we start talking to her kind of in spanglish is what i call it kind of spanish kind of english and and she could hear 
And so we are like crying and we are like screaming. We're so excited. And someone who knew that she was deaf kind of, they like walked up behind her and they knew her name and they whispered her name and she turned around and she was healed that day. That is awesome. I'm going to tell you another faster. I got three quick stories for you. Another one is another time that we were in um, El Salvador and we were doing a program and um, it was poverty ridden and um, it was very, very poor. And so when we were doing the program at the end, they said we get to do a feeding program. So we were kind of excited and because that means that the people don't have enough money to feed themselves regularly. But the problem with this one was there was... Um, like one day the, the women would get fed and then on another day the children would get fed and then on another day the men would get fed. And so when we were doing this feeding program, um, we were kind of lined up. Some of us were lined up in the front. Some people were playing with kids. But what happened was when they knew that we had food, um, everybody lined up. So like it was women, men, and children lined up. But who did this one was only for women, for moms. And so we're lined up and they come and they tell us, okay, you can give food to the women, but when a child or a man comes up, you can't feed them. And it was like a little sandwich and a little pack of milk because their feeding program, their days are on a different day. And so, man, we're kind of looking at each other like, this is not going to go so well. And these, these are poverty-ridden people. And so they start coming up. And we're handing the sand. I was a person, I was a sandwich girl. And so I'm handing the sandwiches out. But we knew, like I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it. But you had to do it. And so sure enough, the first kid comes up. And they're dirty and they're hungry and they're looking at you for food. And you can't give them the food that's in your hand. You have to give it to a mom. And the moms are hungry. And so they eat. And so we immediately, we start praying and we're like, okay, we're just going to pray for God to multiply this food. And so everybody who was up in the front, we were praying earnestly. We were praying with everything that we had on the inside of us because we were sending hungry children away. Hungry children who needed to be fed. And so we start praying and we start praying and we are praying because we have faith that God can multiply that food because we know that he did it once already and we have read that story in the Bible a number of times. And so sure enough, we got, there was only so much food and there was not enough for everybody in this long line. And when we finished feeding all of the women, we looked down and there was definitely food in the basket. So that day we got to feed every woman and child and most of the men that were at that program. And that is because of Jesus. Then I can't tell you how many times this has happened. One of my kids, his name is Michael. You might know him. Some of you do, some of you don't. Well, Michael was a child who was fear-ridden. Fear-ridden. Because he has a purpose and a plan for his life, just like everyone in this room. And so when he was very young, he started developing these fears. And they were crazy, crazy fears. And there were irrational fears. And sometimes they were real fears. But the thing about it is that they ruled his life at times. And they made him a nervous wreck. And so I'm, as a mom, when he's a young kid and he would wake up in the middle of the night or he would come to me with one of these crazy fears, there's only so much that I can do as a mom. I can only do a little bit. 
And basically, the only thing I can do is tell him that, Michael, these fears are not normal. These fears are not rational. They don't make any sense. You don't need to be worried. Like when we use straighteners, he would, he, if we were leaving the house, he'd have to go check every room that a girl had been in to make sure that the straighteners were turned off. He had to go make sure that everything was turned off, like crazy fears. And so we would, I would teach him from the time he was a little child, I would teach him James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because those were fears from the devil. They were trying to take over his life so that later on, now as a young adult, a young adult he would not fulfill his purpose. And so I would always tell him the same thing. Michael, I can only do so much for you. All I can do is pray for you. You have to pray and have faith that God is going to help you and deliver you from these fears. And so as he grew up, sure enough, that's exactly what he did. He put his hope and his faith in Jesus Christ, and those fears did not overtake him. And then there was a time that Miko and I were youth pastors, and we brought over 100 kids to Panama City Beach. And it was really bad weather that weekend. It rained almost the whole entire time. And at one point, our students went out into the water and we let them go like up to their knees or so, but we didn't know that they were having drownings all weekend from riptides. The whole weekend that we had been there and we'd been worshiping and praising Jesus and hearing the word of God, we didn't know that because we were in our little secluded place. And so when we went out in the water, we were standing shallow water, not even up to our knees, about 12 of our students got pulled out. And they got pulled out in the riptide. But the crazy thing is, the night before, at about three o'clock in the morning, a prayer warrior from our church was woken up at 3 a.m. and God told her to start praying for our teens. And so she started praying and she started praying and she did not stop for three hours. And then after that, at 6 a.m., she called about six other prayer warriors. Some of them had kids with our group, and some of them didn't. And they kept praying and praying and praying. And they had to have faith that God knew what was going on, knew what was going to happen. And they were praying for our protection and our safety. And that day, not one of our students drowned, and not one of our students died. Like, nothing happened. You know, they got pulled out, and they were scared. And we had people that had to go out and save them. But the craziest thing was, on the way home, we stopped at a gas station, and when we read the headline of the paper, up until that point in history, that was the deadliest weekend on the Florida panhandle that they had ever had. They had more drownings that one weekend than they had ever had in history. But the faith and the prayers of our prayer warriors kept every single one of us safe. And then there was the years and the years and the years that Miko and I prayed for one of his cousins, a cousin that from a young child, he started doing drugs. And by the time he was a young adult, he well professed that he had done every drug known to man. And he used them regularly, a multitude of them. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for year after year after year. And so did his mom, and so did his dad. But because of our faith in Christ to know that he answers when we call, and that we were faithful to pray for him, we finally got that call one day that he gave his heart, 
and his life to Jesus Christ. And now today, as a, because he's younger than us, but he's probably like 45 or something like 48, he is now serving in a church full time and on their worship team. But it took people sowing seed. It took people knowing that their prayers are powerful. Because it would have been really easy for the, the prayer warrior at three o'clock in the morning to not keep praying, right? Like by, by hour two, doesn't it seem like she would have been tired? That it seems like she would have wanted to have given up on praying? Because she didn't even really know if anything was happened to us. It was in the middle of the night, right? But prayers are powerful. And she knew that. She knew that if she prayed and those other mamas prayed, that whatever Satan was planning and whatever he was scheming while we were praising and giving our hearts to Jesus, they knew that their prayers were able to overcome anything that Satan had planned for us that weekend. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Dom gave me a couple of scriptures. Can we put them up? So we're reading from the, the book of Luke, right? Are y'all enjoying the Luke series? I love it. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. So when he, when he first, uh, when I picked my week, um, I kind of flipped through and read it. And I was like, immediately, I was so excited and thrilled. Like, I'm, I'm ready. So I'm telling you right now, you better like click your seatbelts because we're about to like, Zoom it. All right, Luke 8, 22, 25. I'm really passionate about these pieces of scripture too. So like, get ready, okay? All right, so one day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Sounds like a great idea, right? So they got into a boat and they set out. Now don't forget, some of these guys were fishermen, right? So um, as they sailed, he fell asleep. So number one, that kind of strikes me as odd. He tells them, hey, let's go over to the side of the lake. And then he goes and crashes at the bottom of the boat. Well, why did he do that? He's the one that wants to go on the other side of the lake. Well, I don't know. So he fell asleep. So Jesus is sleeping at the bottom of the boat. Then a squall or a huge storm came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. Now, don't forget, these were people who were used to being on the water. Like, this was normal to them. So they're freaking out. They're afraid that they're going to drown. So they're waking him up. He got up. Okay, how many of you, when you wake up, you're like in your right mind? In, okay, I am because I'm a morning person. So there's like four of us, I think. So most of the time, when you wake up, what are you like? Like, you are ready to go back to sleep and you're like, uh, you know, and you're dying and you're foggy and your brain doesn't work, right? How many of you set an alarm and then set another alarm and then another, oh, do I despise you people? That's why I know when I go to camp with you, I bring earplugs because those people drive me crazy. One alarm and I'm like, bam, ready to hit the road running. I know that's hard to imagine. So now he's like, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. It doesn't say that he got up and he said, I need a cup of coffee. It doesn't say that he got up and I need to shake the cobwebs out of my head. What does it say? He got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Do you see where it says, where he asks them, where is your faith? 
I personally think he really could have phrased it like this. Really? You woke me up to do this? Seriously? Couldn't you have done it yourself? Like, don't you think, like, they were his little prodigals. They were walking around watching him do everything. So obviously he went to sleep because if something bad happened, he thought they could handle it. Because I know if I'm at a spot, either in a boat or in a car, I don't sleep well if I don't think the person in, in, that's taking control of it can handle it. So I think he thought they could handle it. But when it started getting bad and they freaked out, they ran and got him. But I think he's saying, where's your faith? You didn't need me. You could have did it yourself. Okay, so that's the first one. He calms the wind. All right, let's go to our next piece of scripture. So now they sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake. So I guess maybe they made it to the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. Okay, so I've never really, I don't think, been in the presence of a demon-possessed man, but I'm pretty positive I would be freaked out. I'm like, I am 100%. I would be freaked out because I'm a little chicken with stuff like that. So I kind of get them on this one. Um, and actually, it kind of makes me kind of giggle because they're not really talked about in this one. So like, I think they're on the outside, like watching, because I think they're freaked out. So they met a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he had lived in tombs. So he was an outcast. He was an outcast that no longer could live with his family, could no longer live in the city, couldn't live in the town. He was banished because demons constantly possessed him. When he saw Jesus, I love this part, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with, Ms. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. That's the demon, that's not the man. That's the demon screaming that out. It is the demon inside of the man, and he is recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God. Demons know and recognize the Son of God. Demons know and recognize the children of God. They know who you are. They know who I am. And this piece of scripture clarifies that for us. They are scared of us. They know the power that is in us, and they know what that power can do to them. And so he shows us this. I know I'm all over the place. I'm sorry. For, <laughs> for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. And so like he's, he's telling you what happened, and now he's, they're like giving you back history, okay? So before this, where he commanded the demon to come out of the man, many times it had seized him. And though he was chained, so they, they chained this man up because he was so wild when he was demon possessed. Though he, his, though he was chained hand and foot and kept under the guard, kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. So like these demons, they, they were doing a number on him. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Now he's not talking to the man, okay? He's talking to these demons. And it says legion. What's a legion? 
an army, right? It's like a lot. So that means there's not just like one demon in this man. There's many demons in this man, which explains why he was so wild. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss, which is like kind of like this place near or in hell where the demons kind of resided, I guess. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission. But we're gonna hang on right there for a minute. First of all, who knew his name? The demons, right? The demons knew his name. And they begged him, do not torture me. Demons do a number. Like demons are some scary little, whatever they are, demons. <laughs> I did, sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm all over the place. So these demons are creepy and scary, right? But they're real. You know, that's real. That's real stuff in real life. And so they know who has the victory. They know who has the power and the power resides in all of us. And so then he even tells them, like they're telling him, don't hurt us, don't harm us. And then where it says, Jesus gave them permission to go into the pigs. Jesus commands what that demon will do. He commanded it out of the man and he commanded them and gave them permission to go into the pigs. So we're gonna hang on that, we're gonna remember that. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and they were drowned. So I want you to remember those pigs, he gave, those demons, he gave permission to them to go into the pigs. They didn't do it just because they wanted to. They had to see permission from the son of God. All right, here we go. Our last one. This might be my favorite, even though I think I said that for the other two. All right, they're all my favorite. All right, so when, oh, I'm sorry, I'm still in this part, sorry. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and they reported this in the town and the countryside. And the, remember, they never talk about the disciples. So I would really like to know what they're doing at this point. What do y'all think they're doing? <laughs> I think they are like freaked out. <laughs> like, I think they're just like standing on the side, like, like, first of all, this man, like, can you imagine? He's like, ah, he's going crazy. I just think they're freaked out. So they're standing on the side someplace. And so then when the people went out to see what had happened, when they came to Jesus, they found the man. That, I love this. When they, when they came out, they found the man um, from whom the demons had gone out, sitting, sitting. Now he's all calm, sitting at the feet of Jesus, dressed and in his right mind. So Jesus took care of him and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. And the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. Like, I wouldn't want to leave him either because he's probably afraid that they're going to come back. I don't think they did, though. But Jesus sent him away saying... Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. You know what that is? That's sowing seed. That man went and he was sowing some seed after that because he just had a crazy little experience. All right, so we got one more story. Our last one, we're going straight into it. Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. This one's from Luke 8:40. 
Now, when, now this is like two for one. You get like double your money on this passage. So now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, leader, came and fell at Jesus's feet, pleading with him to come into his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowd almost crushed him. Now, let's pause for a second. First of all, this is his only daughter, and she is dying. And this man is desperate. He has heard the power that Jesus holds in him. And he is running and he is begging. Can you imagine the scene? He is begging and he is pleading Jesus with everything in him to save his daughter because he knows she is dying. Everything in him is crying out for a touch of God. And there's so many people around. They're so crowded around Jesus that they could literally crush him. That's how many people are around him. So you know when you're in a crowd like that, you don't know like people are touching you and you're kind of moving around and you're walking. Like if you go to Home of Christian, that's the five-minute break trying to get in and out the hallway. And so like all these people, you're just getting touched. There's no personal space. And so that's what's going on right here. And in the middle of it, this man is crying out for his daughter. And then look what happens. This is your second little add-in. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. 12 years, she had a disease that was so severe that no one could touch it, no one could heal her, no one could help her. And I'm sure if she was bleeding, she was probably in chronic pain. So for 12 years, do you realize, how many of you are 13? That's like one less year than you've been alive. So for 12 years, she's suffering. Surely, she must have thought that she was going to live with this for the rest of her life. Don't you think? 12 years. Do you know how many people she probably went to? Surely, she had to think that this was it. This was done. She was going to endure this the rest of her life. But I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think that that woman knew the scriptures. I think that that woman believed in God because only a woman who believed in God and had faith would do what she did. No one has ever been able to help her. She makes her way through this crowded place. And what does she do? If you've read that story before, she touches just the hem of his garment. She touches just the very edge of his cloak. But the most amazing thing happens so it says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched just the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Immediately she was healed. And listen to what he tells her. Well, he talks to the disciples and he says, who touched me? You know what they're thinking. Are you kidding me? Everyone has touched you. Who hasn't touched you, right? Like, you know, that's what they're thinking. And they're like, oh God, this man, has, he is like definitely crazy because how could we ever figure this out? When they all denied it, Peter said, master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. 
You see, Jesus knew that with all these other people touching him, that was great and that was wonderful, but he did know that there was one touch that was different. There was one touch that had enough faith in that touch. That woman believed with all of her heart that when she touched him, she knew that the power would leave him and go into her. She knew that. And so she touched, she reached And he knew that that power had left him and entered into her. And it says, someone touched me. I know that that power is gone from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Her faith in knowing that when she prayed and what she believed in would come to pass. And so now we still, who's hanging in the, in the little balance? Who, who did we forget about? The, the girl, right? We got the little girl going on, the girl that's dying. All right, so let's go see what happens to the dying girl. While Jesus, because this is on his way. So while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. leader. I keep saying leaguer. <laughs> Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother that teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. And another word for that would be just have faith. She will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but she is asleep. And you know they're probably thinking, whatever. And so they laughed at him knowing that she was dead, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what happened. So I believe in these three passages and these three accounts, I think that Jesus was setting his disciples up. That's really what I think. I think he was setting them up to show them and to know and to prove a big point. And it's the same point that you need to get tonight. He was setting them up to know that if God's power had stayed with Jesus alone, then when he died, it kind of would have stayed with him, right? But he was trying to show them because he's a great teacher and teachers teach by doing. They teach by example. Basically what he was showing them, he was trying to get them to understand that when you believe, when you have surrendered to Jesus Christ, that you have the power to speak in authority, that you have the power. He was telling these disciples, you did not need me to calm the storm. You could have calmed the storm by speaking it and having that faith, knowing that faith, having it, knowing it, knowing that when we pray and when we speak and when we touch, God moves through us. He set them up. He showed them. This power is not with me alone. That's what Jesus was saying. This power is not just with me. When you believe in me and when you surrender to me, this power now flows and lives through your veins, just like that song says. 
And so the next piece of scripture I'm going to show you is just him doing that. Okay, go to the next one. Look at the title. What is he doing? He's sending them out. He's sending them out to start their ministry. He's sending them out to sow their seed. And so he's just now showed them, look, you've got it. You have everything you need. And then that's what he tells them. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. He gave them power and authority. Look at what it is. It's the exact things that he just did to drive out all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick with authority, with power, with anointing. He told them, I love this part, take nothing for the journey. So he sent them out and he said, take nothing, no staff. And I'm going to stop right there. I think, you know, like a staff to help them walk. I think they all knew how to walk. But I think, and I don't really know, this has no biblical background. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. It's just what I got when I read it. But I started thinking immediately when he said no staff, I thought of like in the Old Testament, the first person I thought of was Moses and his staff. Moses is um, a guy, a really cool guy, and like he frees God's people and he does these miraculous things. But if you know the account of Moses, One time, um, God told Moses to strike a rock, and from the rock, water was going to come out of it. What did he strike the rock with? Well, a staff. A stick, a staff. So, a staff. And so, he hit it. But that wasn't technically Moses using God's power. It was God's power through the staff. And then when they needed to cross the Red Sea, Moses had to take the staff and he had to like plant it in the, in the ground. And so again, I mean, this huge, you know, Red Sea parts. And so again, God showed his power, but technically it was power shown by the staff. And then Moses had a brother named Aaron and Aaron once he had to throw his staff down and it turned into a snake. And then the, the snake turned back into the staff. And then another time when um, Israel had all the plagues, um, Aaron used his staff to turn the Nile river into blood. And so all of those instances are using a staff, but God's power is through the staff. But here he says, I have given you they had all the power. They, they have it. And so he says, don't take us, because I think he's showing us, you've got everything you need. You don't need anything else. Um, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So you see, they got it. They left that and they got it. They got the point. They understood what Jesus was telling them, that Jesus was saying, you have everything that you need. I think I have one more piece of scripture. This is actually Paul talking. And this is the crux of what I want you to get tonight. Paul, at this point, he's in um, Ephesus and he's, he's talking to the Ephesians. And at this point, what he's telling them basically is that he's, he's saying a prayer and his prayer was for them to have spiritual wisdom. And that's what we want you to get tonight. We want you to have wisdom. 
We want you to have the wisdom and understanding that you have what you need to do everything that God is calling you to do. And so Paul is saying, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him because God's greatness, his power is great. Who else could part the Red Sea? Who else could turn a staff into a snake and then back into a staff? Who else could heal a, a dying girl in another place that he's not even there, but yet he heals her by speaking his voice. Who else could heal a woman just when she touched the garment? Who else could tell the wind to stop and the seas to cease just by his power? God's power is great. And so Paul is praying, I need you to understand this. And, and tonight, each and every one of you, you need to understand this. God's power is great in you. That's right, in you. And so it says that same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Do you know how much power rose Christ from the dead? Someone who was beaten beyond human recognition, that was crucified on a cross, that was put in a tomb with a stone placed in front of it with guards on the outside. But it was God's power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That same power. This is what the scripture tells us over and over. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. He's above all demons. He's above Satan. He's above any other principality in this world. And that same power rests inside of you. Every single one of you, as long as you have believed in your heart, you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior and you have surrendered to him, you have that power. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. The benefit of the church is who you're sowing your seed to. It's the friend that you're asking to the lighthouse. I've got two little friends here tonight because I met their mama today at school. Never met her before. But when I saw the light of Jesus in her, I knew that her kids must have it too because she talked so highly of them. That's sowing a seed. And then I prayed all afternoon that those two girls would come here tonight because they need friends that are saved because they go to a public school and they need some bonding with people in the middle of the week to make it through the rest of the week at their school. And when your friend needs a life, when they're depressed, when they're lonely, when they're hurting, they need you to give them this mighty power. When you're ridden with fears like Michael, when a family member is hurting, when they need healing, they need you to deliver the power of God through your words, through your speaking, through your prayers, through talking to them, through laying hands on them. You are not too young. You are the exact age that God is calling you to start sowing your seeds. Um, there's a cool thing that goes around. Miko heard Stephen Furtick say it not that long ago. And it says, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. 
Everyone in here is called and God has qualified you through giving you the power of the risen Christ. Um, what, what we need you to do is, I need you to understand that all the power of God rests within you. Everything that you need, he has equipped you with everything. There's nothing that you don't need to speak to that friend, to speak to the relative, or to pray for them. It doesn't always take us speaking. Sometimes it's just praying. You have it all. Does that mean that every time you're going to see what you want happen to happen right away? No, it doesn't. And sometimes it doesn't happen at all. If you could go to the last little girl, and then after that, I'm pretty much done. So this little girl, I can't remember her name. Marilyn, you remember her? I can't remember her name. This is one of our first mission trips. And the one in the little striped shirt, if you look at her, look at her eyes. We met her and we, um, we were praying and our team prayed for her and, and some of our young people prayed for her eyes to be healed because at the prayer time she said that she was beaten. She was beat up at school. People made fun of her because of the way that she looked, her eyes. And so our team um, prayed and prayed and prayed. And, and like literally, they were calling us on the bus. You guys can come up. They were calling us on the bus. They were calling us up and they would not stop praying for her because they wanted her to be healed. They wanted her eyes to go back the way that they should so people would not be mean to her and they would not hurt on her anymore. But it didn't happen. When they finished praying, she looked exactly like that. And so we got on the bus, and Michael was pretty young at that time. Um, and I knew God had to give me some quick answers because I knew he was distraught, and I knew that he was going to ask why. Why did this happen? Why was she not healed? Because we had enough faith. We, we had all the faith that we needed because Jesus lives through us, right? And so he says that in his name we can do all things, but her eyes were not healed. And I, I just kept praying, God, I, I need to know what to tell him because I don't know what to tell him and I know he's going to come and ask me and he's crying his eyes out for this little girl, crying and crying. And he came sit by me on the bus and as sure as anything else, I know that God put in my heart, she was healed. She was healed of emotional scars. And, and from that, I take away that sometimes when we want to see things happen, and we believe because we know that the risen power is in us, we expect it to happen like this, or we expect that we're gonna see it in our lifetime. But I do want you to, to remember and to know that we're not always gonna see what we are praying for. We're not always gonna see the way that we think we should because sometimes God moves and works in people that we're praying for or that we're laying hands on or that we're ministering to and we will never see the way God heals them or deals with them or touches them. And so I want you to know that there are gonna be people that you're gonna be praying for and you're gonna get to see them accept Jesus in their heart. And then there's gonna be other people that you're never gonna see it. But your job is to know that you did what you were supposed to do and you did it with the power of the risen Christ living through you. So this is what we're gonna do. It's gonna be kind of different. I know it was kind of crazy. If you do not have the love of Christ in your heart, you don't have this power of the risen Christ in you because it is specifically for those who believe in Jesus Christ, who have accepted and surrendered to him. 
And so we want you to leave away with that tonight. So I'm going to send Jackie and Dom to that back cross. And if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if that resurrected power is something that you are dying to have, you're praying and you're wanting the Holy Spirit to be in you and flowing through you, then I'm going to ask you to go to the back corner with them. Everybody right here, we're just going to kind of scoot back a little bit. And this is what we're going to do. You're going to pray for yourselves tonight. I don't want anybody praying for you. You're going to pray for yourselves. So they're going to pray, they're going to sing miracles again. And this is what I need you to do. If you need Jesus Christ in your heart, you're going to meet with Jackie and Dom. The rest of us, we are going to sing and we are going to cry out to God during this song. And you're going to pray for yourself. You are going to pray that you have the boldness to go out and do what God is calling you to do to sow those seeds. You are going to ask people to the lighthouse. You are going to pray when people say that they need prayer. You're not going to wait and go home to do it. You're going to say, can I pray with you right now? And you're going to be scared and you're going to be frightened just like the disciples were. But you're going to also know, and you're also going to have faith in yourself to know that the risen Christ, His power lives and flows through your veins. And for those of you who need a miracle tonight, for those of you who need healing, you're going to pray for yourself during this song. You're going to cry out to Him. You're going to be the one to pray for yourself. You're going to go to God on your own behalf. And when you leave tonight, you're going to go out in power and in anointing. So when you pray, you're going to see things happen. And when you touch and when you lay hands, they're going to know that they have been touched by our Heavenly Father because you guys are called. You are a chosen generation. You have anointing. You have power. You have grace and mercy that goes before you. You have so much living on the inside of you, but you're too scared to step out in boldness and do it. But God says, move. If you do the natural, that's what Brother Renee preached. If you move in the natural, if you take that scary first step, He's going to do the rest because that's what his promise is. So guys, if you want to come up and just cry out to God and let God wash over you, let the Holy Spirit fill you with that anointing and that power as they sing, come up and we are just going to cry our little guts out to God. Amen. Amen.